Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Ki Reese. And I'm Laura Brodnick. And honey bun, it's not your weekend just yet because you're doing a press junket tomorrow. I know, it's such the glamorous life of an entertainment editor, waking up at 7am to chat to celebs. No, it's fine, I shouldn't complain, it's all going to be good. Can we know who you're interviewing? Oh, we'll have to save it to next week. I'm always like worried oh. about what if something happens and it goes wrong. Let me just get through it first and then I'll, I'll fill okay, you in okay, all the details. Okay. Well, it is the weekend. We finally made it. And that, of course, means that we have two brilliant weekend watches for you. We have a true crime series and a dark comedy. But before we jump into those juicy recommendations, we have the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. Well, kicking off news today, Meghan Markle has announced that she is producing a first ever, in her words, news series as part of her multi-million dollar deal with Netflix. She released a statement saying that her production house, Archwell Productions, is in the midst of creating an animated series called Pearl, which she stresses is just the working title. But the more I say it, the more it kind of grows on me. So according to Megan, Pearl is an exciting tale that weaves together fantasy and history, focusing on a young girl who learns to step into her own power when she embarks on a heroic journey and meets important women from history along the way. That's such a Meghan Markle TV show. And apparently the series, like the little girl in question, is going to kind of be based on her personality and looks in her life. So that's all very cute. And this is coming after the Heart of Invictus docuseries that she's making with Prince Harry about the global sports competition that he founded. So lots happening for them in Netflix there. What's interesting here is that every time Meghan Markle releases any kind of news of upcoming projects she's working on, there's always a very predictable kind of wave of backlash that follows. And this one's looking very similar. I mean, it's not as big as the last few projects. I think people are kind of realising that they can't just shut down everything she says and kind of make headlines about it. But this is looking very similar to when she released her children's book, The Bench, earlier this year, which is on the receiving end of quite a bit of backlash. And there's been a lot of calls for her not to use her Duchess of Sussex royal title in the book, which is already out, and in the TV series, because people are saying, well, you made such a big deal about not wanting to be in the royal family, and now you're using your title to completely cash in and do all these big kind of pop culture Hollywood projects. Yeah, I know that people say that, but at the same time, there is recognition in her using that name. And in her defence, can I just say, on Lilybit's birth certificate, she just used plain old Meghan Markle, whilst Harry did use his title. So I'm just saying, when it actually counts, she's gone by her name of herself. But there is cachet in using that title publicly, because some people might only identify her as Meghan, the Duchess of Sussex. Just saying. 
Yeah, exactly. That's such a good point. And also for everyone saying like, oh, Netflix is kind of just throwing money at this woman that people don't like, teaming up with Harry and Meghan is a very lucrative business opportunity for them. Like both of these projects, I'm sure, will have huge amounts of viewers. And there were so many headlines around when her book came out because obviously Kate Middleton's book came out around the same time and all the headlines Completely were like, different books. Completely different book, but it was Kate Middleton's book was above hers on the best seller list on Amazon. And I think it took a while for Meghan to kind of reach there and everyone was like well that's it it's decided Kate's won Megan hasn't her book is a success and Megan's is a flop but what didn't get reported as much is that Megan Markle's book did make it onto the New York Times bestseller list so anything she touches there's so much kind of cachet there no matter what the kind of public think of her so I think Netflix is like they're not so much doing this because they want to tell an important story they're just seeing the dollar signs and Megan Markle really brings the dollars over to your business. Well, on to some juicy news, which in the end didn't really turn out to be that juicy. But for many years, there has been this long-running rumour that there was a physical altercation on set between actors Bill Murray and Lucy Liu during their time filming the Charlie's Angel original movie back in 2000. So Bill Murray famously played Charlie's assistant Bosley and Lucy Liu played Angel Alex Monday alongside Drew Barrymore, who also produced the film, and Cameron Diaz. So when an article resurfaced this week that alleged that Lucy Liu had physically attacked Bill Murray, saying that she, quote, attacked Murray wildly throwing punches, a guy called Sean O'Banion, who was a production assistant on the film, responded on Twitter to set the record straight once and for all. And this is what he said. Basically, Murray rewrote a bunch of scenes without telling anyone, including Drew, who was the producer. He put the new pages in everyone's trailers and everyone came to set wondering where the hell the new pages had come from. Murray was the last to step on stage and by that time there was already mass confusion. Mick G, who directed the film, was pissed that no one had consulted him. The assistant directors were also pissed and Drew's producing partner came in and Murray was like, what's going on? Mick G was like, did you get the new pages on your trailer? And Mari was like, no, but I put new pages in everyone's trailer. Drew and her partner were pretty upset by this. And Mari was like, I'm making it better, okay? You've got like 16 writers on this thing. And Lucy Liu spoke up saying something like, this is way out of line. Then Mari turned to her and said, I don't know what you're complaining about. I gave you more lines. I mean, look who you're in here with. Your TV, and this is the big league. And it was at this point that Lucy Lou shouted, you might have to bleep this, producer Maddie. F*** you, you f***ing And then the assistant directors promptly cleared the stage as Lucy Lou ran off stage crying. And he did confirm later saying no punches were thrown, at least not physically. And he did make a point to say that, Bill Murray later apologised, but in his opinion, it wasn't that sincere. So it's crazy to me that 20 years later, this is the first time someone's come out to say, yeah, Lucy Liu didn't assault Bill Murray on set. This is literally rewriting Hollywood history for me. It was pretty much known as gospel that there'd been this huge altercation on the Charlie's Angels set. And the story was always like, yeah, Bill Murray was a little bit rude. Like he said a small offhand comment to Lucy Liu about her acting or that she needed to focus or something. And then the story was that Lucy Liu just flew into a violent rage. She jumped at him and she hit him across the face. She had to be restrained. And that reputation kind of followed her for the next couple of years in Hollywood that she was this really volatile actress and that she fit into this stereotype of Asian women about being like a dragon lady. Which is so 
insane. Like, that's why it baffles me that this is the first time that someone's come out about this. But it's very much aligns with that old Hollywood where there's just that power imbalance. Bill Murray was the bigger name. You know, he had way more movies under his belt and was kind of held up as this Hollywood icon, but who also has a known history of being an asshole. But yet she's still the one that kind of takes the fall for his bad behavior. And I just wanted to be known that Lucy Liu, like she's stuck up in that room where you see like Drew Barrymore, And Cameron Diaz, who he made a point to say Cameron was very much being the peacemaker, whereas Drew was like in shock. Lucy Liu was the one that actually stood up for them and was like, hey, this isn't actually cool. So she's kind of like my feminist icon right now, I think. Yeah, exactly. Also, can we just say that Bill Murray was replaced on the next film? And that's when Bernie Mac came in for the sequel in 2003 as Bosley. So... All of the clues were there. We were just too blinded by Bill Murray's I don't even know. He is an iconic actor and he has this huge cachet in Hollywood and yeah. he's known for being so kind of quirky and offbeat. Like George Clooney famously says, because he works with Bill Murray all the time, has famously said, like, you know, you never know when Bill's going to turn up. He'll just, like, he doesn't have a phone, like, famously. He doesn't have a home. He just kind of bounces around. He'll just turn up at George Clooney's house before they're about to film and stay with him for months, saying that he would, he only drinks, like, I can't think what it was some sort of wine with ice cubes. Like he doesn't drink water. He's just constantly sipping like some sort of white wine Are you wine telling me concoction. that Bill Murray is an Australian bogan? <laughs> yeah, he really is. Have you not seen how he dresses? And also like he'll just leave. They'll be like out to dinner one night like filming and he'll just jump on a train when they're in Europe and head to another country for a few days. And they'll be like, someone's got to go find Bill, get him back on set because he'll just, you know what I mean? So, But that's all quite harmless and funny, whereas this is quite like – an aggressive thing to do to come in and completely rewrite the script. It's harmless and funny, but at the same time, it's just like no one else would get away with that shit. Only like a, you know, a white male actor. It's almost funny to the point that he put Lucy Lou down. Like him rewriting the script, I'm just like classic Bill Murray. That's just a quirky Hollywood story. But him belittling her for being a TV actress is where it goes from being quirky and funny to being like you're just like every misogynistic Hollywood man. Absolutely. Just out there. And when you were telling me this story in our planning meeting, it made me think of this incredible op-ed that Lucy Lou actually wrote for the Washington Post a few years ago. And it was an opinion piece that she wrote talking about how her success had helped move the needle, but it's going to take more to end 200 years of Asian stereotypes. And interestingly, she doesn't really go into any of the Charlie's Angels stuff. She's never really brought it up. I wonder if there's some sort of a gag order on her or something where she can't sort of really lean into that. But she was talking about how no matter how many movie roles she did or how many TV shows she fronted, she was always seen as this kind of stereotypical Asian dragon lady. And she was saying that in like Teen Vogue even wrote a piece about how her character in Kill Bill really kind of brought that to light and was was a real caricature. And she was like, hang on a second, Kill Bill has three other actresses who all play professional killers. So Uma Thurman, Vivica A. Fox and Daryl Hannah, and none of them have ever been called a dragon lady, even though they were all playing those characters. And then she does go on to say the only thing she says about Charlie's Angels is how important it was to her because... Her character of Alex normalised Asian identity for a mainstream audience and made America a little more inclusive because she said, when I grew up, I watched all the TV shows, like the original Charlie's Angels. There was never a character like me. And she's like, all of a sudden there was one. And the Alex character was the kind of 
it wasn't that kind of angry Asian stereotype. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. She had the goofy, was it Matt LeBlanc who was her boyfriend? Oh my God, I love yeah, that movie. Yeah, I think yeah, it was. She it had was. like the goofy boyfriend and she was really sweet and smart and she was just a normal character. And kind of like, yeah, just a normal character. Wasn't kind of like, yeah, defined by her ethnicity. Yeah. So I think that really just did go over our heads at the time. But for her, it was kind of like, it signified a huge change in Hollywood. So looking back now and knowing that the movie that was meant to change how Asian women were seen in Hollywood was marred by Bill Murray. And that story just got buried for 20 years. Wild. Justice for Lucy Liu. I finished my work week on my couch. Ordered some food. It's time for week and watch. Our recommendations of what to watch this weekend. All right, weekend watch time, and I am so excited to recommend this today. So it is a dark comedy satire called The White Lotus, and it's on Binge and Foxtel. So it's a six-part limited series, and I'm not giving anything away because this all kind of happens in the first two minutes, but it starts off with one of the characters, Shane Patton, who's played by Jake Lacey from Girls, and he's sitting alone in this departures lounge kind of looking a bit glum and this couple who have been on vacation start to talk to him and like oh how was your holiday you know where did you stay and he says oh I stayed at the White Lotus and they're like oh well we heard there was a death there and he said yeah that you know they're bringing the body back on our plane and then they start to ask him a few more questions and he just tells them to like fuck off basically and he goes and looks out this window and you see this casket being pulled onto the plane and then we're transported to one week earlier and basically the six-part series is set over the span of the week at this exclusive luxury resort the White Lotus in Hawaii and it follows the vacations of a group of very wealthy and very entitled hotel guests so we find out that Shane is a newlywed with wife Rachel and they're kind of working through this bit of like a power imbalance he comes from a very wealthy family she's you know this kind of like journalist and they've kind of been thrust together and had this like whirlwind romance and just got married then we have Tanya McQuad, who's played by the amazing Jennifer Coolidge. So she, you would know her from American Pie, Legally Blonde, that we were talking about just the other day. And she's kind of this quite quirky woman who's traveling alone and she's gone on this vacation to scatter her mother's ashes. Then there's the Mossbucker family. So the matriarch of the family is this kind of goop Esque website CEO called Nicole, played by again such a good cast of women: Connie Britton from Nashville, Friday Night Lights, a, a million other amazing things. Her husband Mark, who's played by Steve Zahn, and she's there with her son and daughter Olivia, who's played by Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria. Who just it's kind of the same character in a way on Euphoria. Like she does that kind of like sexy, sultry bratty kind of vibe really really well and then she's also there with her best friend Paula who's kind of like a kind of like very disinterested in their family but anyway and then the kind of main lead which is very exciting is the resort manager who is this Australian guy called Armand and he's played by Murray Bartlett who is one of my most favorite actors and he starred in actually one of my most favorite series ever called Looking if you haven't watched that that's also on binge so definitely give it a watch and spa manager Belinda who's played by Natasha Rothwell so What basically happens is kind of like as each day passes, you're going kind of between the luxury of the very wealthy guests who are there and then the realities of what that luxury means to the workers of the hotel. 
And you're slowly introduced to the kind of this darker side to both the guests and the hotel employees. And we begin to really see their flaws and who they truly are. And it all ends with someone dead. I don't want to go too much into it, but I did want to add, and I'm not going to tell you who she plays, but there is a recurring guest star, Molly Shannon, who is such a good actress. And she honestly is a scene stealer in this series. So new episodes are dropping weekly on a Monday at 11am and you can watch it on Binge and Foxtel now. And it is just such a good show. And it was actually inspired, so written directed by Mike White, who is the creator of Enlightened. And it was really inspired by the pandemic and spending time kind of in close quarters with your family, much like you do on a vacation and kind of the madness and insanity that comes from that. So highly recommend. It's called The White Lotus. Great recommendation. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Show me what you got, girl. (laughs) So I'm recommending a new eight-part true crime series that is premiering on Stan today. So if you are locked down in Australia somewhere, don't worry. You can sit and just enjoy watching someone else's terror. So Dr. Death is based on Wondery's hit podcast of the same name, and it tells the truly disturbing story of former American neurosurgeon Dr. Christopher Dunch, who became known as Dr. Death. And he earned that name after it was discovered that he had left a trail of injured, maimed, and in some cases dead people across hospitals in Texas where he was working. So pretty much he was kind of seen as this rising star in the medical field. He was known as being really charming and kind of really wooing his patients and saying kind of things like, no one will look after you like I can. The other doctors don't know what they're doing. And then basically he would... How's a way to say this without really upsetting everyone? When he was operating on people, instead of actually actively doing the operation properly and saving their life, he would do things like cut arteries and crush spines and close them up properly. And so people would wake up in this really chilling pain. And he just derived so much kind of power from torturing people who were going through operations under his care. It's truly upsetting to watch. Like it's such a compelling, well done series. It's truly upsetting to watch and knowing that this man really existed and really did all these things just really heightens the drama. But they've been really careful not to tell the story in like a voyeuristic way. Like it's very much on the kind of this man is evil. How can we bring him to justice? It pains me to say this, but my one celebrity crush in the entire world, Joshua Jackson, plays Dr. Death and he is brilliant in the role. I'm going to go watch some of his other TV shows this weekend to kind of put this memory out of my mind. But Joshua Jackson is so good in this because... He was, like Dr. Dunch was, very charming and very, like that's how he got away with everything and very smart and could be very kind of persuasive. And Joshua Jackson obviously has that kind of charisma. So he brings that to the role. But he's also so good at playing up the terror and the bitterness and the anger of this kind of sociopathic man who is just wanting to prove something and ends up so like hurting his friends, the people around him and so severely injuring all the patients who are under his care. So that you kind of find all that out in the first episode. So no spoilers. And then the series kind of opens where he's just um, a woman comes into the hospital. She's got back pain. It's meant to be quite a routine surgery. She wakes up absolutely screaming. And then another doctor in the hospital, Dr. Robert Henderson, played by Alec Baldwin, who look, I know Alec Baldwin's a bit weird and crazy and he's got some stuff going on, but he is an amazing, actor and he is so good in this role he goes in to kind of do a revisionist surgery to see what's happened to this woman after Dr. Dunch did the back surgery and he kind of just finds out that she has 
he has literally just crushed her spine, like just smashed it and kind of left it there. And after that, he starts looking into his history with his other colleague, Dr. Kirby, who's played by Christian Slater, also amazing. And that's when they discover this wasn't a one-off thing, that that this doctor has been like hurting and leaving people severely injured across multiple hospitals, but it's kind of all been like, no one's really picked it up. So then they sort of have to start this process of trying to get him taken away from the hospital, which they can't really do. It's weirdly hard to prove that a doctor is like hurting and killing his patients, even though the evidence is right there. There's so many loops they've got to jump through. And that that just made me terrified. I'm like, well, they can't just put him in jail. It's obvious what he's doing. So then they have to team up with a district offence attorney, Michelle, who is played by Anna Sophia Robb, and they begin kind of working towards this goal of trying to prove a negligent doctor in criminal court, which is very hard to do. There's a really amazing cast, including Grace Gummer, who a lot of people would know as Meryl Streep's daughter, but she's a great actress in her own right. She plays Kim Morgan. So she's Christopher Dunch's physician's assistant turned girlfriend. They have quite the fling, and then she kind of discovers his drug use. She chooses to keep quiet about it, but then she gets pulled into this big entanglement of what's happening. So it's eight episodes. It's like a really brilliantly done drama. It is difficult to watch, but it's the kind of masterclass in how you take a true crime story and make it work for TV. It's so good. And am I okay to say this, that we're going to do a watch club on this? I mean, I don't make those calls. I'm going to say it's okay. Yes, we're going to do a watch club on it because we absolutely, there's so much to talk about, especially when a show is based on such a terrifying true story. So make sure you watch all eight episodes on stand because then you can listen to our watch club and we're going to go like super behind the scenes on all the gritty details. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today and this week. And, you know, we like to do nice things on Friday, so why don't you do a good deed and head into your podcast app, rate and review us. It means that more people can find the show. It means that we get higher up in the charts. And it just means that, you know, it's it's a nice thing to do. It's a nice thing to do. This episode of The Spill was produced by Laura Brodnick and Maddie Joanno with audio production also by Maddie Joanno. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.